Hi there, Charles with Future Knowledge. Uh, before I get into that, really fast, GoFundMe for Catherine Winchell. Uh, still ongoing, you can find that link with information down in our description. Now, while this episode was being edited, we actually learned that SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP have reached a tentative agreement and that the strike is going to end... By the time you hear this episode, it will have ended on November the 9th at 12.01 a.m. We're going to talk about in more detail in the next episode what this means for Gold Squadron. But for the moment, what I can tell you is that we are going to finish out Darth Vader and that should take us well past the end of the strike. We've got at least three more weeks of Darth Vader. At that point... We are going to release some episodes that we've had on the back burner that we've been holding back. Uh, and then we'll be getting into our normal coverage and we'll be doing the Ahsoka show. But for anyone who was like, are they going to immediately go back? Are they going to drop Darth Vader in the middle of it? No, the Darth Vader 2017 is a coherent story and we want to experience the entire story. So we will talk more about what the plan is and all of that on the next episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. But for now, just know we are going to finish out Darth Vader prior to going back to our usual content. We hope you enjoy this episode on Burning Seas. Parts one through a number, I think it was three or four. Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and I'm not dead. <laughs> that's, that's how I figured I'd open given the tag at the beginning of last week's episode. Ah, yes. Yes. I, I have had COVID this week, unfortunately. It's pretty nasty. Everybody, go get your booster uh, so it's not as nasty for you. And the, the bad news is that COVID has sucked extremely hard. The good news is that one of my friends got me an early birthday gift. Uh, it got me a copy of Baldur's Gate 3. So I have been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3. Bradley's giving me a look like, I don't even know what that is. Do you even is know what the, Baldur's Gate 3 wait, is, Bradley? Is that the thing on TikTok where they, like, you can fuck the bear? Yes, that's the thing where you can fuck the bear. Oh, okay. I vaguely know what that is then. But yeah, yeah, it's it's an RPG, you could fuck the bear. That's, like, all you need to really know about this game. <laughs> uh, so I have, I have been playing that in tandem with our friends over at the Divas, who are every other Friday live streaming them playing a party version of Baldur's Gate 3, where both of their PCs can be in the game oh that's kind of cool yeah apparently they have an option they have a multiplayer option where you can get like multiple people and you could do like a DD &D party oh that's it's so interesting. really interesting because baldur's gate is set in like the DD &D, like lore world type thing okay it's really interesting it's really good we don't have time for me to go on an extended rant about baldur's <laughs> gate 3 and i've only i've only played for a couple of hours but I'm loving it. We don't have time for that today. Before we get into what we are actually here to do, I do want to say that last week, the episode of Now This Is Lit that I was on uh, with Meg McDowell dropped. 
Uh, you can head over and listen to me talk. Meg is different than Bradley, and she does not tell me to shut up or edit my tangents out. So if you, you want to going. hear, I just kept going. I just kept going and going and going and going. So if you want to hear what I sound like when Bradley's not taking an axe to every time I wander off the beaten path, that episode is allegedly about Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. Oh, uh, but I talk about Legends. I talk about Legends Con, which side note, the GoFundMe for Catherine still up, still in our description. There should have been a tag at the beginning of this episode, but in case there wasn't, that's down in the uh, description. Uh, but yes, I was on that episode. It was a great time. Uh, we talked about a whole lot of different things. So if you liked our Legends coverage and you liked our Inquisitorize the Red Blade episode, go listen to me on Now This Is Lit. All right, because SAG-AFTRA is still on strike at time of recording, and there is a picket line that we are avoiding crossing, we are continuing our journey today through Star Wars Darth Vader 2017 by Charles Soule. And today we are going to be doing part of the Burning Seas arc, which is issues 13 through 17. I say part of because we sort of agreed on the outset of recording this episode that we would just sort of start going through it and figure out where we were after an hour, because I'm not sure if we're going to get through two issues, I'm not sure if we're going to get through three, I'm not sure if we're going to get through four, whatever we're going to get. So we're going to do part of this. Burning Seas, which is the fourth major arc of the Darth Vader comic, uh, was written again by Charles Soule, uh, penciled again by Giuseppe Kimincoli. Uh, the inker for this one was Danielle Orlandini. The letterer was Joe Caramagna. And the colorist was uh, complicated because it's David Curiel for issues... 13, 14, 15, and 17. However, 16, according to Wikipedia, was colorist, had a colorist, uh, Java Tartaglia? Tartaglia. Java Tartaglia, and someone named Guru-EFX? Okay. Is, is gotta be a pen name of some sort? Or just a Star Warsy name, I guess. A, a very Star Warsy name, but yeah. Guru-EFX and Java Tartaglia? were the colorists for issue 16. I don't know if we're going to get to 16 on this episode, but I'm doing all of these up front. Sure. This week on Darth Vader, Darth Vader teams up with Grand Moff Tarkin to bring the Iron Fist of the Empire down on the world of Mon Cala. Bradley, what was one thing you liked about this arc overall, and what was one thing you did not? Ooh, this was a tough one. So I actually really liked this arc. I thought it was, so far, I thought this was the best one, in my opinion. I just like, just because, I don't know, I've, I've never seen Mon Cala this capacity before. I mean, I've seen, I mean, we've seen it in Clone Wars, but this was like, I don't know, I felt like we saw a lot more of them just in the background, and like the different colors of the characters, it was just fun, and then like, I really liked seeing, you know, Radis and Akbar. Like, that was fun. Just, like, little callbacks, you know? Like, I love all of them. I, I They're such interesting character design. Like, these fish people. Like, I love it so much. Or lobster people, I guess. Uh, we keep getting so close to Mon Cala and then never getting there. Which is yeah, super frustrating because like this planet rules. I want to see it so badly. It's so interesting, too, because it's, like, all underwater. But then, like, some of it's above water. And then, like, it's, like, a whole thing. I don't know. There, I just feel like character design-wise and, like, setting design wise this would just be really cool to see um, it's shown up in comics a lot comics love this place like there's a whole comic set between some of the sequel films that actually takes place on Moncala uh with rose and ray and uh general leia going to this planet and like it kind of follows up on this a little bit but also okay. follows
follows up kind of on stuff that happens in Star Wars 2020. Star Wars 2020 also went to Mon Cala and they had a whole arc there. Comics love this place. They just, they love it so much. And the one thing I did not like was I, I hate anytime an Inquisitor dies because I don't like when you introduce a character essentially or give them something more to do in an episode or comic or issue or whatever and then immediately kill them at the end of the arc so i did not like that because i want all the inquisitors to stay alive forever and ever and never die because they're all special little evil baby children horrible news for you about fortress vader horrible news about what's coming in fortress vader (laughs) which i thought was happening in burning seas i am gonna the thing charles fucked up slightly here and say that i was misremembering i had thought that inquisitor rise of the red blade went over burning seas it's it's not it's fortress vader fortress vader okay Uh, that's that was just me misremembering so sorry to the audience who was expecting is katakaris uh this week or two weeks sorry she's not she's not in this she's coming but she's not in this one thing i really liked i fucking love tarkin in these issues he is such an asshole yeah he is such a goddamn asshole the entire time but he's this carefully calculating like we understand why he's the guy that palpatine trusts to do all of this because he's this carefully calculating ruthless cruel it's interesting to compare him with like the reading of thrawn whenever we see thrawn working alongside the imperials thrawn is a villain like he is a bad person he is a fascist but he's not needlessly cruel to the extent that tarkin is right tarkin is a jackass to his people when they fuck up. Thrawn's not quite, so it's interesting to compare the two, like looking at the reading of Thrawn alliances and Thrawn treason versus the way Tarkin is written in these comics. Uh, So I really liked Tarkin in these issues. Uh, Another thing that I really liked was I did like that if you had not seen any of the animated stuff or had not read Star Wars 2020 uh, or any of this, you can come into this basically blind. It will tell you everything you need to know about the characters that are involved. It literally flashes back at one point to tell you something. Like, it's it's pretty clear. You can pick up these comics and read them and not know who King Lee Char is. And it'll tell you basically the entire characterization you need to know of this guy. Just through the visual, his visual design, through the art they use, the way he's drawn relative to Radis and Akbar. I did lo- really love that. One thing I disliked, I felt like there was a missed opportunity here uh, to showcase the relationship between Tarkin and Vader in these issues. Now that relationship is going to come up very, very soon, but I felt like there was a lot of missed opportunities in these issues. They have like one whole conversation. It's pretty amicable, this conversation that they have. But other than that, Tarkin and Vader do not interact with each other at all. And it honestly feels a lot like Tarkin has more to do as a character in this than Vader does. Vader makes only one real big character choice in the entire five-issue arc. So I felt like that was a bit of a missed opportunity. Alrighty, issue number 13, Burning Seas Part 1. Vader is meditating and fantasizing about murdering the shit out of Obi-Wan Kenobi when he gets a summon to go talk to the Emperor. And the Emperor is like, hey, so we're an empire now. Uh, That means we're evil and we have to demonstrate that we are evil. So I want you to go to Mon Cala and I want you to murder the shit out of the Jedi that I suspect is there. And Vader's like, well, I can't command forces. I'm not technically a general anymore. And Palpatine's like, don't worry, I have somebody 
somebody way more qualified for the position than you. Surprise, it's Grand Moff Tarkin. And Tarkin is like, okay, well, we're preparing. There's negotiations, but we are preparing for this obvious invasion that we are about to do. We want to take the planet, not destroy the planet. So, just to be clear, that's why we're not bombarding the shit out of this. Meanwhile, down on the surface, King Lee Char is negotiating with Ambassador Tev... Tev... Telvar? Christ, I almost said Teflar. <laughs> Ambassador Teflar. Uh, Ambassador Telvar. It doesn't go well. Vader shows up. He is stopped by Jiel Akbar. I believe this is the part where the Ambassador's ship explodes. Uh, and also we see the Jedi and he knows that Darth Vader is actually Anakin Skywalker. That is issue one. I love how this issue opens with Vader doing the whole I'm gonna win an argument in the shower after it happened deal. He's replaying it in his mind like, oh, well, if I just did it differently like this. If I just said this, it would have been so right. clever and cutting, and I would have easily won that argument and dazzled them with my wittiness and knowledge. But no, no, you face-planted. That's what actually happened. It's so petty. Also, it's if you actually watch like what he was thinking about doing, it's like he decided to use the force to like what throw the lava at obi-wan kenobi he has to try to jump to avoid it or something and then like he for starts for force choking him and like slams him on the ground he like burns alive um that's a very complicated plan for what you were trying <laughs> to do compared to what actually happened like why didn't he just not like pull kenobi with the force like towards the lava that way like that you know what i mean i'm trying to simplify what he was doing because it was just so complicated and he was like oh yeah this would have been much better much much better than me flipping up and trying to do a somersault over his head well because the thing too it's been years it's been years since this happened like we established in the opening text crawl that it's been a while uh now we'll get to when exactly this has happened actually this is a good thing to look up right now it's the thing charles forgot to research oh i can tell you because it's right in front of me uh it's in the very opening crawl. It's in the very opening crawl. What year does this take place in? Uh, it doesn't say what year. It just says three years have passed since the ascension of Anakin. Oh, well, so, there you go. I'm, I am wrong. Well, not wrong, but I am, I missed that completely. Good work, Bradley. <laughs> Reading this more thoroughly than I did. Whoops. No, he's, it's been three years, so you have to imagine he's been fantasizing about this constantly. He's probably run through every version of this that's conceivable. Like, now he's just into imagining the wildest, most ridiculous shit. I love it. So he, he gets called in to have his meeting with the Emperor, and the Emperor... The Emperor says something really interesting. He starts talking about how there's a convenient fiction that he's allowed to persist, and that is the Empire is just a continuation of the Republic. And now, three years in, they need to start dispelling that illusion, which I find really fascinating. He talks about how the Imperial Senate is up there basically to let the galaxy pretend like it, they have a voice still, but really there's only one voice that matters, and it's the Emperor's. I love the idea that we are getting to see kind of the transition of the Republic to the Empire. Because if you if you just watched the films, you would assume it sort of happened overnight. And certain animated shows that are on right now are kind of exploring the idea that no, it didn't. These comics were some of the first to explore the idea that no, it didn't. And the Rebellion on Mon Cala is one of the first planets to really 
on a major galactic scale, try to put their foot down and say, we are not okay with what the Empire is doing. And I find this really interesting. I, I love this idea from Palpatine a lot, that he sort of allowed this to persist, to let people get comfortable with the idea of the Empire, and now it's time to start cracking down. I also love that you can hear, like even just in the writing of the comic, when he's talking about uh, the Death Star, and he's yes. saying... Krennic and his scientists. Uh, Jeremy, <laughs> the disdain he puts on the word scientist. He clearly does not like them very much. Well, he's also, you know, I, I don't want to say a man of faith, but he is a man of elf religion. And he yes. is like, no, no, no. Science is dumb. Magic is better. Uh, so <laughs> I could build this Death Star with the Force in five minutes if I wanted to, but I have to right, put up with exactly. all of these scientists and these exactly. engineers and these people with degrees telling me what I should be doing. <laughs> when in reality, I should just be able to force this problem to be fixed. Right. Uh, I love it. I, I love how bitchy Palpatine is constantly about everything, even in the writing of these comics. Speaking of people who are bitchy, surprise, it's Grand Moff Tarkin. <laughs> Tarkin's here, which, you know, makes sense. And he's having a conversation with three Imperial officers. Uh, they are Rantu, Jordo, Burgon. And I was going to look up and see if we'd seen these Imperial officers anywhere else. Uh, but then I read the rest of the comic. <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah, I'm not even going to bother with that. Yeah. Whoops. However, there is an interesting line here that, that Tarkin gives. And he mentions, like, when they don't want to bombard, he just he's like, we don't want to destroy the planet. We don't want to destroy the civilization. We have all these military reasons, blah, 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 blah. Also, the Emperor really likes their ballet. Right. This is very Roman Emperor of him. Like, it's <laughs> very, well, the Emperor likes this piece of art, so we're not going to burn this city to the ground. Right. That would be like being like, okay, well, this is where the Mona Lisa is. And this guy is such a fan of the Mona Lisa. So we just won't destroy this city that it's in right now because he loves, he just would never want anything bad to happen to the Mona Lisa. Oh, yes. No, it's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent that. And that's the thing. Like when you're in an empire and you're at the behest of the emperor, the emperor's personal petty likes and dislikes, they're basically lull. Like they're basically the rules. And when Palpatine, we think of Palpatine as like this one note character who's just evil all of the time. And his only concern is being evil. And that's all he thinks about is being evil. There are occasional glimpses of he is an actual like character. He has likes and dislikes. One of the things he likes is Squid Lake. For some reason, he really likes Squid Lake. Well, who Lake. doesn't love Squid Lake? Who I doesn't mean, love yeah. Squid Lake? <laughs> I, I recently finished, uh, recently as in within the past couple of days while I was sick, finished 100%ing uh, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga again. And one of the, because I wanted to replay it with all the DLC characters. And one of the jokes on, if you go on board a capital ship, is like, this week's prize for the Hollow Chest Tournament is two tickets to Squid Lake. Again. <laughs> and I could just imagine Palpatine, like, randomly deciding, tickets to Squid Lake will be the reward for all contests aboard Imperial vessels because we need that audience filled. It's very one time there was like a premiere of like um, a new like piece of music or something at the Hollywood Bowl. And my boyfriend got us tickets and he got us tickets because they just sort of gave them out to all of the nurses where he worked at the time. Right. Uh, well, we got there and the audience was mostly 
his co-workers. So we put together, oh, you just gave out a bunch of tickets for free because you wanted to pack this auditorium. Fill the audience for this, up, new, yeah. for this composer's new, okay, yeah, I see. I see what's going on here. <clears throat> I just imagine Palpatine doing that. Yeah, it's giving a, I know someone in the play or ballet <laughs> and I, I am using my seat of power to like really pad the audience and make people think that it's like this really amazing play. But I, I have like a weird fun headcanon of like, Squid Lake is actually terrible. And like Pal- <laughs> Palpatine's the only one who likes it. And so he just forces everybody to go see it all the time because he, he's the only one who likes it. I fully believe that's the case. I fully 100% believe that's the case. Again, it's the thing with empires. When you have an emperor and an emperor who's regarded with an almost deific status like this, it that's what happens. If the emperor approves or disapproves of something, that has actual weight. And it also has weight on military decisions. Uh, if the emperor says he doesn't want something raised for whatever petty reason, you don't do it. Because you don't want to be the guy that go has to go back to the emperor and tell him you burned the Mona Lisa. There's a common myth that goes around. This is where I'm going to end this this section because honestly, I could talk about the history stuff all day, but Aaron's not here to make it interesting for us. That's right. There's a common myth going around uh, that. I used to live in Savannah, Georgia. So before you met me, Bradley, I was attending our alma mater's campus in Savannah. And there's a common myth that Savannah is famous for, this is not a myth, this is true. Savannah is famous for how many historical buildings it has. There's a common myth that Savannah was not burned down in Sherman's March to the Coast as a Christmas gift to Abraham Lincoln, because Lincoln didn't want it burned down. That's not true, at least as far as I can find. It wasn't burned down because it surrendered and all of the rebels left and so Sherman couldn't justify burning it down but that is a very common myth that Lincoln didn't want it burned down and Sherman was like Merry Christmas I didn't do a war crime which (laughs) whether or not Sherman actually did do a war crime we don't have time to get into on the podcast but we jump to down on the planet Ambassador Telvar is talking to King Lee Char. King Lee Char Bradley you want some additional information about King Lee Char? Yes. King Lee Char, as you identified, uh, first appeared in the Clone Wars TV show, which we're not going to talk about because strikes, but that is where he comes from. His name is a reference. Have you, do you know Starkist Tuna, Bradley? Do you ever buy tuna? Do you know the the fish that's on the tuna can? Yes, it's like a blue looking, almost dolphin like character. Yeah, that fish's name is Charlie the Tuna. Lee Char is a reference to the name Charlie the Tuna. Okay. He looks like a tuna, I guess. (laughs) Other than his first appearance, he has only ever appeared in comics. He appears in this. He appears in the 2015 run of Star Wars, where he fucking dies. It's, it's, It's a really good arc. It's a pretty long one, too. It's like eight or nine issues. And then he's also in Allegiance, which is a sequel era comics that I mentioned up at the top of this episode so that is he's a pretty prolific character in comics but he originated on tv and he is here now i am so glad that the yuzon vong are not in canon bradley's just sort of blinking at me okay so bradley in 1999 they started this no. run of books called the new <laughs> <laughs> okay so i assume everybody basically knows 
what the Vong are and what whole that whole thing was. But in case you don't, in Legends, the Yuzon Vong invasion was a big deal that happened a couple of decades after the original trilogy. Basically, it turned out that Palpatine knew that these these aliens from outside the galaxy were going to invade, or at least he was telling people that that's why he had to do the Empire, because they had to defend against the aliens that were invaded. It's very late 90s, early 2000s sci-fi. We don't have time to get into it. But the reason I'm glad they aren't here is because the ambassador has a line that's basically like, well, you should agree to all of our terrible terms because the Empire gives you protection. Because the Vong are not here, that line is bullshit. Right. And Lee Char is 100% right to be like, protection from fucking what? Right, exactly. What are you protecting us from? It's like a protection racket is what's going on here. Is right. It's really protection from the Empire is what they mean. Right. Yeah, because he's like, uh, I think, he, I don't know if he actually says it, but he's like, he's like, I thought he said something about pirates or something, but I guess that's not really what he said. But I guess he's implying that like, oh, maybe, you know, somebody's going to come steal your shit or whatever. But it's yeah. like. It's it's a classic gangster protection racket. Classic right. gangster protection racket. Uh, the whole pay us for protection. You're really paying us for protection from us. That's what's going on here. The Empire, nothing. They're nothing more than two bit gangsters. They just two bit gangsters with a giant navy. Also, Admiral Radis is here. I love we love him. That. We love him. I just love because I I because I know what he sounds like, so I'm just like you in can my read head, it in his voice. I can read it in his voice. <laughs> well, a lot of the Mon Cala have appeared in things before. Lee Char, Admiral Akbar, and Admiral Radis have all appeared in some sort of visual media, so you can hear the voices in their head. And Charles Soule is such a good writer, and Tarkin, and Vader, and the Ninth Sister. Like you can hear a lot of these voices in your head because Charles Soule does such a good job of writing for them. Like Radis is much more aggressive. Akbar is much more calculating. It's it's good. It's very good. Back on Tarkin's ship, he watches a shuttle go by immediately just from the name. He knows who this is because of course he does. There's very little that happens in the Empire that Tarkin doesn't know about, mostly because he's totally just chill with all of this. Tarkin's Tarkin's weird. He has a weird relationship with the Empire in that he his views kind of align with the Sith and he's sort of cool with like just letting the Sith run things because it benefits. He doesn't really his ambitions are not for himself. His ambitions are not to supplant the Sith. He recognizes he's reached as high of a goal as he possibly can. His ambitions are to impose his will on the rest of the galaxy, or rather his values on the rest of the galaxy. He's not concerned about being the one to make the calls, which I think is why he works so well in the Imperial structure. He's just ambitious enough to be useful, but not ambitious in the type of way that would pose a threat to Palpatine. I got all that from him just knowing what Vader's ship is. Right. Vader disembarks with a couple of Inquisitors. Actually, the Inquisitors disembark first. And we are looking at the ninth sister, sixth brother, and a new Inquisitor to Bradley, I think, which is the tenth brother. Bradley, I don't think you've seen this guy before. You have not seen this guy before. He's been mentioned before in a right. book that you've read. He was mentioned in Rise of the Red Blade, but I don't think we saw him really for very very long. This character appears in something else. We will get to that in a later issue. For Darth Vader's purposes, this is the first appearance of the Tenth Brother. They are stopped by one GL Akbar. I assume you know who GL Akbar is. What's funny is when I was reading it, I, I got confused for only a second because I was just kind of like, oh, he has more than just one name. Like it took me a second to like think about it. I was like, oh, I guess theoretically 
that would be his last name. Akbar uh, his is his last name. name. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, it's, I just, it's something about like, I know he's called General Akbar or whatever, or Admiral Akbar. Admiral like, Akbar. Right. And so I just, for some reason, I just assumed his name was <laughs> Akbar. But I, I don't know why I didn't like put together like, oh, he also has a first name. Like, it's just something that he has to have. Well, here's an interesting question. I need to check and see if the Geol... I don't know where he was first identified as Geol Akbar. I think he might have been first identified as late as 2015 or 16. No, not 15 or 16. 2005 or 6. But I'm not sure. I can't find it just at a cursory look. But I think for a long time we didn't know what his first name was. Right. But we do here. It's Geol Akbar. The ambassador shuttle blows up. That's a mystery. We won't find out about that until later. And we end with the Jedi in the cave. And oh shit, he knows who Anakin Skywalker is. Right. It's like, who's this mysterious person? <laughs> I am. I saw. I literally just saw it on the page on the Wikipedia page for GL Akbar. Uh, Akbar's first name wasn't coined until the release of the Star Wars Legends reference book, The Essential Guide to Warfare, written by both Jason Fry and Paul R. Urquhart and released April 3rd, 2012. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Side note, I've been in several panels with Jason Fry. He is a lovely gentleman. Oh. There you go. That's how we're ending issue one. See, I warned you, I have a lot of notes on these issues, Bradley. Issue number two, the, the Battle of Dak City, I think. Duke City, something. The, the battle has started. The Empire has invaded. There is some fighting. There is some back and forth. We get extended time with Master Barr, who explains to us uh, how he knows that Vader is Anakin. Uh, and he does a whole lot of talking. There's some more fighting. Leechar summons whales. And that's basically the issue, as far as it is in my notes. Okay, great. Did, did I hit everything, Bradley? Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, he summons the whales, and then there's a tidal wave, and then it's just... Oh, Vader yeah. Just Vader, the of the ocean. Vader and his people, like, capture... They, like, capture Leechar and interrogate him. That's going to be important later. Uh, but then, yeah, that tidal wave that's summoned by the whales ex machina, that happens. I just love the, the opening-ish panel of Vader and the Inquisitors. Where they're just standing there and the Inquisitors have their lightsabers out and Vader's just kind of standing there. Yeah, he's just like, get get this over with. Like, I don't want to do this. Get this done. <laughs> get this done. I love it. I love how little of a shit Vader gives about his Inquisitors. Constantly at all times. Also, some Purge Troopers are here. This is relevant. Uh, we will bring up the Purge Troopers later and what they actually are. But for now, just note that they are there. Tarkin, I believe this is where Tarkin and Leechar have a conversation. And Leechar is basically trying to buy time and for the civilians to evacuate and also, like, try to convince Tarkin to do a ceasefire. Like, that's plan A. The whales are plan B. Tarkin immediately just knows what he's doing. Tarkin's like, oh, I've got this figured out. He doesn't know about the whales, but he knows that Leechar is buying time. And he knows that he's just trying to, to get Tarkin to back off so they can keep evacuating. I like how smart Tarkin is in this. He's, he's constantly, like, reacting really well to the situation. He's a very reactive commander, but he does it in such a good way that he'll analyze the situation and then make a move. He'll analyze the situation and then make a move. We also get, like, a here's what you missed on Glee. <laughs> That's exactly how I read it. I don't know if I... I don't know if I can make that joke, but I'm going to make it anyway. It, yeah, we get like a flashback scene, like very briefly. Again, this is to establish if you're only reading the comics, 
This is to establish the relationship that Anakin has with Lee Char. Because we see him and Padme and Ahsoka and Jar Jar, like, being there for the coronation. And so we know that Anakin and Lee Char have met. We know that something happened. We don't need to know the details, but we just need to know that they've met. Yeah. It's so weird, though. Like, I wonder why they did this one panel of flashback. Like, what? Other than just, like, because it doesn't really... If you cut that out, like, if you were to take out that panel, you literally could... There's a little bottom part where Vader's walking with the Inquisitors, and he's, like, he's saying, like, you know, he's not going to abandon the city. And then before that, he's, like, no, I'm certain he's not going to... He's, like, I'm familiar with the king or whatever. It's, like, I don't know if you necessarily need the flashback. I appreciated it because I like it's a good Jar Jar, but... It's a good visual clue, like... It tells us explicitly without them turning to the audience to explain with words, hey, Anakin did an entire multi-episode arc on this planet. He is, it tells us without needing to know that. So fortunately, we don't have to reference that show any more than referencing that it exists and these characters originated in it. That's all we need to reference it. And the good thing is because the comic is written in such a way that if you, if this was the first comic you ever picked up for Star Wars, if you're in the comic book shop or whatever, and you pick up this comic because it has Darth Vader on the cover and he's like coming out of the water. I think this is the one he's coming out of the water. Like he's the fucking creature of the Black Lagoon or whatever. But if you've only read this issue, that will visually tell you what you need to know. That Anakin has met Lee Char, he was there for his coronation. Boom. Done. That is all we need to know. So it tells us that with our eyeballs, without us having to read and process that information through text, which I really do like. In the cave, Master Bar is having a conversation with all of his little followers. They're not all necessarily apprentices. Uh, They don't all seem to be Force-sensitive. The only one of his followers we really need to care about is Verla. We will come back to why in a couple of issues. Master Bar himself, he seems like he should be a character who has appeared in other things. He is not. Okay, that's awesome. He is only in this. He's mentioned mentioned in some other things as far back as, as Star Wars 2015 number 48, but he has not appeared in any of them. Okay, I guess I'm just thinking of some other character that looks vaguely like him from one of the movies or something. Because I feel you're like thinking of Sessa Ten. You're thinking of Sessa Ten, who was the the guy on the Jedi Council. Same species and everything. Same species and everything. Pretty sure same like cut horn. Like he has like yeah. The cut uh, that's horn. A, that's the thing that was throwing me off. He weirdly horn, looks so. like Sessa Ten. I almost kind of feel like maybe he was supposed to be Sessa Ten, and then they changed. Just change the character's name. Somewhere in in the process, they decided not to do that because maybe they realized Shock T showing up in Force Unleashed was fucking stupid. And they decided... Also, they might have known that, surprise, another member of the Jedi Council is going to show up later in, in this comic. But for whatever reason, he doesn't appear in anything else. Sure. Master Bar's just... He's completely original to this comic. And he says a couple of interesting things. One is that he laments that the Jedi were so focused outwards... Uh, when he sh- they should have been focused inwards. What he really means is that, like, the rod of Anakin Skywalker was inside the Order and that they didn't notice it because they were too busy focusing. That, I think, is an unfair characterization, but right. that's the characterization he makes. Yeah, because he's not, essentially, he's not the poison. He just is poisoned, and then that right. spreads throughout everybody else. So it's not necessarily the fact that he was originally the poison. It was that... He is just the easiest or the most manipulated person that eventually becomes the undoing 
of the order. Master Bar is so close. He is so close to an epiphany, which is that the Jedi Order at the time had fractures in it and was very easy to break by external forces uh, by simply exploiting those fractures. But he doesn't quite get to that we kind of see it a little bit with Jocasta Neal, too, in The Dying Light, where she's so close to a revelation that she just doesn't get it. Right. Like, she she thinks she has all the pieces of the information, like, to solve the problem of what it was or whatever. And then it's just like, well, you didn't know everything. So clearly you have, like, kind of a one-sided opinion about what happened. 100%. And both of these characters are colored by their perceptions of the Jedi Order and also by their attachment to the Jedi Order, which bar... We will find out later does not have that strong of an attachment to the Jedi Order, but he still, it is colored by his own experience. He also says something interesting, which is one of the, one of the people just straight up asks like, hey, if you know that Vader is Anakin Skywalker, why don't you just tell people? Right. <laughs> I mean, that might have worked right at the beginning of the Clone War, at the, the rise of the Empire, right at the end of the Clone Wars, that's not going to work now because people are just too comfortable. This is not going to work like it does in the political movies where like there's one piece of information that comes out and the entire public turns on the people in power. That's not how this is going to work. That's just not the war that we're fighting here. That's not how fascism works. That's not how authoritarianism works. You can't, speaking the truth is often not good enough. That's not how this works. So I, I love that little exchange. Whales Ex Machina show up. R.I.P. to Rantu, who is the first of the Imperials we met at the beginning to fucking die. And that's where the issue ends. A tidal wave knocking Vader in and he's sinking down into the depths. Will he escape? End of issue. Nope, he just, yep, he just drowns. Nope, and that's, he dies. That's it. He's he dead. drowns. The, that's the end of the, sh the end of the saga. There's nothing else that happens. There's no OG movie that ever happened. Uh, that's, this is it. This is where nope, he dies. This is over. They've solved the Star Wars, guys. I, I am reminded in a weird way, just for some reason, Vader being on Mon Cala connected the idea of the glove of Darth Vader. D did you ever read the glove of Darth Vader, like the actual plot of it? The book? So I don't, I don't remember it per se, but it's the only Star Wars book that I've ever owned before I bought uh, Thrawn, like actual physical copy. And then uh, I also have um, William Shakespeare's Star Wars, but just for more okay. like a copy table thing. But I, I know what the Glove of Darth Vader is because it's the one Star Wars book that I owned. I just remember there being whales on the cover. Yeah. So basically the plot-ish, one of the plot-ish elements of Glove of Darth Vader was that when the Death Star exploded, wormholes happened and deposited the Death Star pieces on random planets and uh, the Darth Vader's glove went to Mon Cala. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I guess I don't remember everything about honestly honestly if we were discussing a little bit in the opening meeting like what do we want to do after darth vader if we run out of darth vader which i i doubt we will we have easily easily three more weeks of darth vader possibly four if we run out of darth vader maybe we, we maybe we should do the glove of darth vader series that might be hilarious if i can find them if i can find a way to I was get gonna say. They're probably like uh, buried deep, deep well, down. <laughs> well, I found out. Here's the thing. I found out the Jude Watson books are actually pretty easy to get from your library. I mean, you just got to check your library, but a lot of libraries have them. It's because they were very popular books to just get for kids because kids would like to check them out. So I actually found that a lot of libraries do actually have them. Moving on. Issue number three, which is the last issue I think that we're going to have time for today. 
There is a cool undersea fight with Vader uh, rescuing himself. The Inquisitors show up at the last minute to bail him out. He is mad about this and is basically like, you dumb fucks. You let the king go. Obviously, you should have gone after the Jedi because literally the first thing he's going to do is fucking tell the Jedi. Meanwhile, GL Akbar leads a counterattack and destroys an Imperial Skybase, killing yet another of the Imperial officers we saw at the beginning of Ark. GL Akbar manages to find the king, who was swept up by Quarren, who have managed to put aside their differences temporarily with the Mon Cala in order to work with them in perfect sync, which I do not mention in my notes, but I do think is a cool, tiny little piece of world building that they are working together. Bar is like, shit, because the king tells him that Vader's coming after him. He's like, shit, we gotta evacuate. Uh, meanwhile, aboard the Imperial Star Destroyer, Tarkin is like, well, damn, now we just have to fucking kill everybody. Also, fuck you, Jordo. End of issue. The only note I have for the undersea fight is cool undersea fight. Vader fights like a squid thing. Yeah, I mean, I well, actually, so there's two things in this that I liked that were really funny. One is just underwater lightsaber. I I don't know. I just something about that I love. Uh, ever since uh, we watched, uh, was, I think it was the shitty Clone Wars that I love so much. Yeah, the uh, Gendy Tartakovsky one with Kit Fisto. Uh, and his underwater lightsaber is hilarious. I also love that it looks like Vader uses some kind of. I guess he like makes a force bubble around him or whatever, so he can like breathe somehow. That's interesting. And then also him fighting a squid underwater. Like I feel like this just I need to see this whole entire scene. I don't care if it's animation or live action. I need to see it played out like on like an actual like some kind of visual media because I feel like it would be so wild to watch underwater. <laughs> Once again, if you are watch if you're reading on Dynamic View on the Marvel Unlimited app, uh, it is really really cool and really cinematic. This fight that he has with the the squid underwater. Not much plot happens here, but this is very very cool, and it also shows of how how more confident Vader is becoming in using his force powers. So they mentioned clone troopers. Uh, we do know this is three years, thanks to the beginning. And also, the fact that there's clone troopers will be important in a later issue. But just pointing out, there are clone troopers here, like somewhere on this planet. So there's a little exchange with Vader and the Inquisitors, where Vader walks in and is like, so where the fuck is the king? And the Inquisitors are like, well, we came to get you. And Vader was like, you are all fucking idiots. Uh, I that's never that's need nice. to be rescued, which is an interesting exchange. This because really he kind of has a point. No, he has a point. It shows the self-reliance and the self-centeredness of the Sith and also the confidence of Vader that he's like, no, you should have gone after the Jedi. All they really did was swoop in at the last minute to get him out of the water. That was all they contributed right. to this. He really is miles more powerful than them. And it's not like Vader doesn't need to be rescued occasionally. His point is that if he does need it, he will ask. He does not need you assuming that he needs to be rescued. He is not on your right. level where he needs other people to look out for him, or at least he perceives himself that way, which I think is an interesting in the relationship between the Inquisitors and Vader. Vader saying, if you have a choice between going after the target and rescuing me, go after the target. That is your job. And also, kind of in a way, he's instilling the Sith, like, I, I, I'm only in it for myself mentality, which we will see later on in issue five trying to instill it in the Inquisitors. You are not a team. You are obeying my order. We are not working together. Right. And I think it's also, it's weird because like in the last issue, 
you know, the ninth sister kind of was like, well, fuck Vader. Like, you know, if something happens to him, like, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. But then in this issue, it's kind of more like, well, we got to go get Vader because we don't want him to die. Like, I don't know. I feel like it was kind of a weird flip on the script because if it made sense, ninth sister would be like, well, let's go after, let's go find the fucking king or let's go find the Jedi randomly. Like, we don't, we already know where he is because we tortured this guy. So we know where they are. So why don't we just go after the Jedi? I think the last issue was just ninth sister being petty. Right. She was just being a huge bitch, uh, justifiably so, but that's just what was going on with that. And this one, they're in a more serious, like, they're in the middle of a battle. Everything is exploding right. around them. The target really is a Jedi this time. Last time it was just a bunch of assassins. That's true. Last time she thought it wasn't as serious because she knew it wasn't yeah. as serious. So Last time she right. knew it wasn't as serious. Right, right, right. She okay, was mostly just spiting sense. Vader. There's a cool little, like, landing platform slash sky base that we see. I really like it. I think it's neat. Uh, it does get immediately destroyed and Bergen gets killed, which is really it. interesting how Akbar destroys this base because he, like, every time they breach the surface, they have TIE fighters swarming on them immediately. And so what he does is he keeps below the surface, has them all go up, fire all of their missiles at the bottom of the base, and then drop back down. The calculus being that the Empire cannot possibly target all of these probably 40, 50 missiles that they fire all at once. Some of them are going to get through and destroy the base. So it's actually really clever how he's using the water to his advantage to get close enough to this base, which I think is neat. Then he heads over and he talks to Lee Char. Now, we skipped over it in the recap, but Lee Char had this like conversation with the Master Bar, and Bar's like, I have foreseen Mon Cala as the like vanguard of rebellion against the Empire, and you're going to save the galaxy. Lee Char is very young. Like, he's not that old. Like, he's maybe in his early 20s. Yeah, he seems like the younger... Not He's not a prince because we know that he's king now, but it's just... We know he's king he's, now. He just acts like a prince still, if that makes sense. Right. He doesn't have a lot of experience. So when he's told by a Jedi, and you have to remember, his last experience with the Jedi was them saving his ass in the Clone Wars. When this Jedi tells him, I've had a vision of you leading the charge against tyranny of course he's gonna be like yeah i'm totally gonna do that right 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 which kind of ended up happening but not really right and very loose version very loose that. interpretation yeah. but akbar has this pretty good response to it where he's like are you are those thoughts coming from you or is that the jedi talking which is not negative to the jedi it's it's trying to assess the situation realistically where akbar and radis are similar people is that both of them are experienced enough to be realists they're not stupid they have an accurate grasp on the situation so akbar recognizes that's not the king talking that's the jedi the final scene with tarkin i love how tarkin is written in this so much because so jordo we find out is the main liaison for the imperial security bureau uh, or the ISB, if you remember, that is what Yularen is in charge of. Uh, we've seen them depicted quite a bit in visual media. I'm not going to say which one because I'm desperately trying to avoid mentioning visual media when I can. Some of it's just unavoidable in this episode, just mentioning that it exists, but I'm trying not to mention. But if you've watched visual media recently, you remember the ISB. He is the main liaison from the ISB. And Tarkin is like, you have fucked this up so royally. And Jordan's like, uh, we've only been here a couple of days. You can't expect me to know the entire planet. And Tarkin's like, okay, so one, you're fired. Two, you're demoted to Stormtrooper. Basically, yeah. Uh, eat shit. I did check. Jordo does not appear after this issue. So presumably he is killed on the surface. Gotcha. I love how just how much of a cruel asshole Tarkin is in this. 
But again, he never loses his composure. He only kicks this guy out after multiple instances of this guy fucking up. And when he fucks up so bad that Bergman gets killed, or Burgon gets killed rather, sorry. When he fucks up that bad, that is the part where Tarkin steps in. So I do I do love how cold Tarkin is, but how not dumb Tarkin is. Well, I also, I mean, we'll, we won't get to it this episode, but in the next episode, you know, knowing what is going to happen with Tarkin, he knows what he's going to do at some point. So oh, it's yeah. just funny that he sends this guy to the surface being like, well, you'll be better off down there because you can actually do some good or something along those lines. And it's kind of like, well, no, you knew what you were going to do. So he's like, no, a way to this guy's not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. He's like, Oops. Accidentally died in the battle. And accidentally dying in the battle is where we are going to end this week because we are literally at the 59 minute mark raw recording. I'm sure Bradley will cut about 10 minutes of this out, but my voice is not recovered yet and I can only do about an hour of podcasting at a time. (laughs) So we are going to end here. Bradley, do you have any final thoughts on issues 13, 14, and 15? of Darth Vader 2017. I think this is actually a pretty strong little, I guess we'll say mini arc since we're only doing the first three issues. It's, you know, I I think it's definitely escalating slowly. It's like a nice slow burn, but it's like a, like things just keep happening. Like, I, I don't know. I like this, the pace of this one a lot better. I like that there's so many more characters doing more things here. Like we have three different kind of like, you know, storylines going on. We got Darth Vader's kind of section. We've got now Bard doing his stuff. And then you got Tarkin on the other end. So it's kind of like this. Well, nice there's four. Don't forget thing. about Akbar, Raddus, and Lee Char are getting their own little storyline. And that's going to, that's going to pay off by the end of ultimately what will happen. I'm, I'm not going to say what certain things of the ending in case people are reading along with us, but there you go. No, I really love these issues. I think you're right about the pacing. I think the pacing is incredibly well done. I like the gradual escalation of the conflict because it feels like a battle. It feels like a planet-wide battle. I like how we're not seeing that the battle's planet-wide, but we get enough references to, like, here's what's happening in the Northern Hemisphere. Here's what's happening in the Southern Hemisphere. Here's what Radis is doing. Here's what Akbar is doing. Here's what's happening around the planet, that even though the story uh, mainly centers around these four groups around this specific area in the Northern Hemisphere, the battle feels planet-wide. And I really love that escalation and that rising tension and also the sense of scale that we get in these, which are really quite good. So next time on Gold Squadron Gaze, we will be covering the finale of Burning Seas, that is Burning Seas Parts 4 and 5, issues number 16 and 17. We will also be continuing into episode, or I just said episode. Fuck, I made it through the entire... thing without saying episode 13 <laughs> episode 14 no there were issues we are also going to continue into episode 18 next time uh that is a one shot that is part of the main run we will not be doing the darth vader annual number two even though it's listed on wikipedia as part of the the comic run we are not going to do it it's just a side story we're not going to cover it because it doesn't tie into the main plot and we want to keep focused So if you're reading along with us next time we will be reading issues 16 17 and 18 of darth vader 2017. And reminder, if you want to hear more of my voice, you can listen to me on Now This Is Lit, where I talk for entirely too long about Legends, uh, and then for entirely too long about Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade, a book that will be relevant in two weeks, I think. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. Do you know what else I love in these issues, Bradley? How often Vader strikes dramatic poses. This man is voguing constantly. Just every panel with him is just pose, 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 pose. pose. <laughs> He's such a diva. He's such a little drama queen.